Welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. This is a recording of our Wednesday morning Bible study held weekly at Chapel Hill and led by our Minister of Education, Casey Spiker. We walk each week verse by verse through the scriptures, one book at a time. If you wish to join us in person, we meet each week at 10 a.m. in our sanctuary. We'd love for you to join us. Now let's open up God's Word together and see what God says to us today. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. This is lesson 8, session 8 of of our study through the book of Ecclesiastes. Today we're going to be in chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 10 through 15. We, we, kind of, we kind of hit the highlights of verse 10 last week at the end of, of that lesson, uh, but we're going to start there today and move into these next few verses uh, through, through verse 15. So today's passage comes obviously right on the heels of what we talked la- about last week, this section that tells us that there's a time for everything. And we talked about those seasons of life that we go through. We talked about time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, uproot what is planted, time to kill, a time to heal. Y'all remember all that? We walked through those. There were um, a number of those things there, 14 total comparisons, 28 total seasons of life that Solomon tells us that's pretty well common to all of us. All right, so today's lesson comes right on the heels of that. And today's lesson, we're going to sense something that's a little bit different. If you look deep, you're going to sense a little bit of frustration. Solomon is going to point out finally, took him three, two and a half chapters into chapter three, before this, this way of life, this futility, this meaninglessness of life, kind of frustrating if you stop and think about it. Now, again, understand that frustration is is the context of meaningless life without God. All right, so we understand that all of this is telling us his point, the purpose of the whole book that we've talked about now for weeks is to help us understand that we have a need for God. But now listen, today is we're really going to see that. Today we're going to unpack that, and you're going to see Solomon's writings, and as, as, as a matter of fact, today is probably the clearest that you're going to see so far that all of the purpose for this meaningless life is so that we try to find meaning in a relationship with God. All right? So it's kind of a, kind of a strange concept maybe as we try to wrap our minds around it, but it's there, okay? We, we find that, God, that Solomon is going to point us towards God. Now, in this passage today, y'all, we're going to see a few things and we're going to go through these individually. Powerful things. This is a great, great verse, a great passage today for us to study. We're going to see these things, all right? So the first thing that we're going to look at is that he has made everything beautiful. Your your version probably says made beautiful in verse 11. Everything made beautiful. A better better word there is appropriate. The NASB uses the word appropriate. Uh, So he has made everything appropriate or beautiful in its time, all right? So that's the first thing we're going to see today. The second thing, and maybe the most important, of anything we've talked about is that he has put eternity in the hearts of men. So we're really going to unpack that. We're going to, we're going to really look into today the purpose for eternity and, and, and our knowledge of, of, of there's something bigger than this. Okay? So everything is appropriate. God has put eternity in the hearts of men. Number three is we can't fully understand the plans of God 
All of this, this is such a cool picture, but this is the, probably the most common sense, no-brainer thing I've said, right? You don't understand fully the plans of God. I don't understand fully the plans of God. We don't have that ability, okay? And then the last thing that we see here is that whatever God does, whatever He works and whatever He plans and whatever He purposes, it will last forever. And maybe even a better statement in the context of all of this is if your, your everyday, normal, mundane work is meaningless, if what God does lasts forever, then the things that you do for God, the things that you do that fulfill the, the use of God's purpose in your life, those things will last forever as well. All right, so those are the main four things that we're going to look at today. A lot, a lot to unpack. Two full pages, front and back of notes here. I got a lot, to, a lot of ground to cover today. So let's read our passage together, starting in verse 10. He says, I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. And then there's verse 11, that, that great verse. It said, He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. Yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever, and there is nothing to add to it, and there is nothing to take from it, for God has so worked that men should fear Him. That which has been already, and that which has already been, for God seeks what has passed by. All right, so let's, let's begin to, to, to unpack this and look through it real quick. The, the first thing that we see is we see the task which God has given. So in verses 10 and 11, Solomon tells us this. He, he looks back in his observing of what we've done. So verse 10, I've seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. So think about all the things that he's talked about up to this point. All right, he's told us that we're to work. He's told us that we can enjoy uh, the food and we can enjoy uh, our, our relationships. But he then, at, at the beginning of chapter 3, he tells us about these seasons of life that we're going to go through. And he says that all of this, everything that he's talked about to this point is common to man. We all go through these things. <clears throat> so he begins his passage noting verses 1 through 8, that he has seen all that God has placed on us. He's observed everything. There's nothing that he's missed, because trust me, he's tried, right? He's tried to find every possible scenario. He's tried to find every possible thing that can satisfy and bring fulfillment to his life. And to this point in earthly things, he's over however many he's found, Okay? So, these, these seasons now, though, that we go through, we need to understand that there's good seasons and there's bad seasons. There's, there's healthy seasons and there's unhealthy seasons. You remember we talked about last week, each one of these, these lists of 14, each one, the, the last one cancels out the first one, right? There's a time to be, to be born and a time to die. The time to die cancels out the time to be born. There's a time to plant. There's a time to uproot. 
If you plant a plant that's growing and you uproot it, what's going to happen to that plant? It's going to die, right? So every one of these undoes the first. But now what we need to fully understand is that each of those, and we're really going to unpack this later, each of those can be good or, or better yet. Let me rephrase that. Each of those can serve good purposes in your life, okay? Each of those can serve good purposes in your life. I won't say that death is good, but I will say that sometimes those things can serve good purposes in our life. But now this is where we begin to see this frustration that Solomon brings to the forefront. And in a way, y'all, in a way, he's telling us, now y'all hang with me, that this frustration is not internal, but it is something that God has placed in us. Okay, now that's a strange thing, so I'm going to flesh that out a little bit, because we don't typically like to think that God puts frustration into our lives. He's not doing it to quote-unquote frustrate you as much as He is trying to help you look to the thing that relieves that frustration, which is Him. All right, so let's, let's unpack that. Let's keep going on that, okay? Now, we know... Because verse 11, and we're going to unpack this a little bit more in just a minute, he tells us that eternity is in our heart. We know that he's designed us for certain things and that our heart can't find those things here on earth. Again, if anybody is the poster child for this, right? Solomon. He's tried to find every possible way to find fulfillment under, under, on this earth, and he can't find it. He, they, these are the things... These, these things which he's done every day, which God has given the sons of men to with, with which to occupy their time. So listen, so in a way, God has allowed these things into our lives knowing that they would not fulfill us and that we would need to turn to Him who is the only true source of contentment and fulfillment. All right? Does that make sense? Y'all understand what I'm saying so far? Okay, now remember... This was not God's original plan. God's original plan was not for man to come and to toil in, in, in meaningless labor and not be able to find fulfillment. Go back into the book of Genesis. What was God's original plan? He found Adam and Eve, or He created Adam and Eve, and He placed them in the garden, and the garden was what? The garden was perfect. Adam and Eve at this point are perfect He's given them parameters, He's given them instructions, but now His intent for them is to just live in this beautiful garden and to, to work it, and it's, just, it's supposed to bring them purpose, it's supposed to bring them fulfillment, and they have everything that they possibly need until what? There's also this tree that God has placed in there, and He told them specifically, hey, don't go over there to that tree. And what's the first thing they do? They both bebop over there. And you, you can probably find blame in one more than the other. Both of them are there. All right? And what happens? It brings sin into the equation. And once sin comes into the equation, what do we see in the relationship that God has with Adam and Eve? It changes. He banishes from the garden. They're now ashamed that they're naked. This, this work that they've done, He promises that there's going to be a burden for the man, that this work is going to be toil, toilsome and, and burdensome, and it's going to be awful. And we know that He, he cursed the woman with, with, chain, with pain and childbirth and all of these things. And because, not because they were, they, they, they were just in a bad place, but because they sinned, God's original plan has been undone. 
God didn't change it. Sin changed it. So now, as a result of sin, right, as a result of sin, we live in a place where the things that we do on a daily basis are not really and truly designed to bring us purpose. They're not really designed to bring us fulfillment. They may make you happy for a season. They may make you excited for a day. You may, find, you may make a lot of money. woo But that's not where you find your fulfillment. So God has given us this task, these things to do, and in turn, they are supposed to frustrate us so much that we look to something to relieve that frustration. Now, here's the problem. The world looks for ways to relieve that frustration, right? They look to alcohol. They look to inappropriate relationships outside of marriage. There's, I mean, there's all sorts of things that people do to try to find that, to, to, to kill that frustration of life. God, Solomon, tells us there's one way to fix that frustration, and that is to turn to him. All right, so now there's three points. Let's get into verse 11. There's three points in verse 11. The first says that he has made everything appropriate. Again, yours may say beautiful. Everything appropriate or beautiful in its time. Now, the word time here is super important in this passage because we just read verses 1 through 9, and in verses 1 through 9, the word time is used 29 times. Time is, is a big deal, right? It's, it, in, in our context, in our way of doing things, we operate on a schedule. We operate by a clock. We know that certain things happen at a certain time and our lifespan is a certain amount. Every day, we're focused on time, okay? So it's a big deal. But it's also important because he says that every one of these things will happen in a certain time. All right? So now the word that he uses here for, for appropriate or beautiful means that everything fits perfectly in its own place and time. Better, better way of saying that is everything, every one of these seasons that he mentions, basically he's saying God ordains and allows them to happen in His perfect time. All right, so now if we're going to understand that even the bad things that he mentions here, and again, death, uh, uprooting plants, time to kill, time to tear down, time to weep, time to mourn, all of those things happen to us. But now Solomon is essentially telling us that all of those things, when they happen to us, if we trust in God, if we believe in God, that he allows those things to happen to us, not at random times, not at uncalled four times, but it all happens according to His plan. Now, the question then becomes, what do we know about God's plan? What do we know about God's timing? Well, we don't know much specifically, but we do know that His timing and His plan is what? It's perfect. So if He allows something to happen in your life as part of your life, then know that it happens at the perfect time. Now, look, we can talk about death and we can talk about those things and that never, there never seems like a perfect time for that to happen according to our plan. But now God's plan is perfect. God's plan is perfect. So now, let me ask you a question. This is, this is good. I, I was thinking through this this morning. Do you guys believe in coincidences? I don't. I don't believe there's any such thing as coincidence. 
And I'll tell you why. For me to believe that there's such thing as coincidence means that I have to believe that there are things that happens outside the plan of God and outside the will of God. I have to, I have to then think that God is even sitting up there going, wow, I didn't see that coming. And that doesn't, that, that doesn't fit the description that I see in Scripture about God. I don't think God is ever caught off guard and surprised by events that happens in our lives. I don't even think he's caught off guard by our behavior, even though he's disappointed by it sometimes. So I don't believe there's any such thing as coincidence. I believe that everything that happens in your life and happens in my life happens inside the will of God and happens inside the control of God and that He is completely sovereign. He is completely seated on the throne and He is completely in charge of everything that happens in your life and mine. Y'all believe that? All right. So now, this point leads us now to the next couple of points. If we're going to believe that He's made everything appropriate or, or beautiful in its time, which means that everything has happened at a perfect time according to His plan and His purpose, then the next point leads us into this, that He has also set eternity in their hearts. Now this is where things begin to sort of take a turn for us. This simple statement means that we understand, we crave, we desire for there to be more than just this. And by just this, I just mean the simple stuff. I mean, you guys, some of you, are, most of you are retired. A lot of you are retired and y'all went to work and you did your job. And now you're like, thank the good Lord. I don't have to go do that anymore, right? But now for a period of time, that getting up and going to a job, there, might have, there probably was some fulfillment in it. But at the end of the day, right, it's just, I'll do this again. Right? There's so many things that we go through in our lives that are mundane. and So we need there to be. We want there to be. We, we desire for there to be something bigger and something greater than this. Because let's, let's all be real. Let's, let's, and I'm not saying this, but let's take one tiny second and let's pretend that all of this church stuff and all of this God stuff isn't real. How does that change your life? It's so empty, it's so meaningless, it's so pointless at that point. What are we even doing here? Fortunately, y'all, you and I don't believe that. We don't believe this church stuff and this God stuff is fake. We are 100% bought in. Thank the Lord for that, right? That we get to trust in the God who called us and purposed us and created us and saved us. But y'all, there are people outside the walls of this building that don't believe any of this. And you wonder, you, 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 just, you see it on them sometimes. You, you have relationships with those people and you see them going through life and all they're trying to do is find meaning somewhere. There's a desire in our hearts for more than life under the sun and we have a knowledge of an eternity out there beyond this life. Look, even people who claim to not believe in Christ, and that's a majority of people according to Scripture, even people who choose and claim to not believe in Christ, a lot of them believe that there's something other than this. They want to believe. Now, there, there are people who just believe you're born and you die, and that's all there is. There's nothing before, there's nothing after. But there are a lot of people, even if they're putting their faith in misguided paths, 
that want to believe that there's something more than just living on this earth for 70 or 80 years and then you just, nothing. I want to believe that. I believe that, but I, I mean, even apart from Christ, there's a ton of people that want to believe that. We have that built into us. We have that built into us. So he said in verse 11, he's made everything appropriate in his time, which means everything that happens is part of his plan and part of his will. The next part says he said eternity in our hearts. We understand, hopefully, prayerfully, you understand this, that there's more to just everything than just this futile life on earth. And then he says this, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. Now, That translates like this. I wrote this. Simply put, no matter how much we want to, we can't know all God's plans or all He wants to do in your life. In other words, we don't know everything. Is that a fair assessment? No matter how much you want to, you don't know everything. I don't know everything in relation to our lives. We can't see the bigger picture that God sees for our lives. And now listen, don't miss this. If we know that there's something bigger than us at work to plan a purpose in eternity for us, but we also understand that we don't have all the information of how to get through it on our own, what does that leave us? It leaves us turning to God and trusting in Him. That's the right answer. It leaves us in the place that all that we can do is is turn to God and give everything to Him and put our trust and our faith and our hope and our desires and our wishes. All of that, we place it in in this, this trust in Him. We trust that God uses all the details and all the seasons to work out this grander plan in our life. And listen, y'all, At this point, there's nothing left for us to do other than just to trust. And I know, (laughs) I know that's not the super easiest thing in the whole world to do sometimes. But I want to paint, I want to paint this picture for you. And I was supposed to put a picture on the screen and I didn't do it. Oh wait, there is a picture on the screen. I was supposed to put a postcard. How many of you have ever gotten a postcard in the mail or sent somebody a postcard of you know where you've been or where they've been, and you get this picture of this postcard, right? And let's pretend like that's a really beautiful like Hawaii scene, okay? We talked about it. Let's, let's say Alaska. Somebody talked about Alaska a while ago. Let's pretend that's like a beautiful iceberg in the middle of the uh, Alaskan Sea, and you're on a cruise ship looking at it. All right, now here's the beauty of it. What can you tell if you're looking at that picture and you see water and you see iceberg and you see a boat? What can you tell from that picture? You can tell that it's cold. You can tell that maybe you wish you hadn't come. You can tell that there's water. You can tell that you're on a boat. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture, beautiful scene. It's breathtaking to look at. But now here's the thing. I want you to imagine that that picture is your life. That picture, that scene, I'm not saying you're in Alaska on a cruise ship. I'm just saying that your life is this small little picture. And what you have is a full understanding of everything that's going on inside that picture. Right? You see all of it. 
You know everything. Intimately, you know the details of everything that's inside that picture frame. But in reality, (laughs) there's more than what's just in that picture frame, right? Like if you take a picture, if you take a picture of this scene of Alaska and you see uh, glaciers and you see beautiful land and you see ice cold water, you might even see a humpback whale in that picture. There's more to life than what's going on inside that picture frame, right? Just across the way, not very far from Alaska, is is Russia. It's a very different picture, right? Just east of Alaska is is, is Canada. It's a very different picture. You keep coming south, hey, you know what? There's not even ice here. Thank goodness, right? Everything is different. Now, here's the thing. Your view of your life is that picture. You Again, you see the picture, you know the picture, you're aware of the picture, you know everything that's going on inside that picture, but think about how much of life is happening outside that picture frame. That's God's view. What's outside the picture frame is what God sees. What's inside the picture frame is what you know. What's inside the picture frame is what you are aware of. What's outside the picture frame, which is the rest of everything, is what God knows. And see, we try to plan our lives. We think we can be God of our lives with a thumbnail, uh, a thimble's worth of knowledge when all we see is just one tiny little picture. And we think we know it all. God sees absolutely everything else. That, that to me, when I heard that description, when I heard that story, when I heard that, that was humbling to me. Here's the thing, where do your frustrations in life come from? These frustrations that Solomon is talking about, most of them come from not knowing the details and not understanding the plan. How many of you have ever gone on a trip with somebody who was in charge and they didn't seem to really know what was going on? That's frustrating. When you're on a trip with a a group of people and one person is supposed to be in charge and they're just like, well, we'll just see where the day takes us. No, when we, when we go on vacation, when we go on vacation, we pretty well have a plan. Sometimes the plan changes, but we pretty well have a plan. God has a plan. God is never up there going, let's just see what happens today. Right? Now, I'm not saying it doesn't feel like that sometimes, but most of the frustrations that we have in life come from not knowing the plan, not knowing the details. And listen, the book of Isaiah tells us very clearly that his ways and his plans are not the same as mine and yours. They never were supposed to be. They never, that's not how God works. God's plans and God's ways are different. Now, while some people see this as annoying or a hindrance to their faith, God intended it to actually be the opposite. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't put this frustration in us where, where we're supposed to trust Him and just depend on Him as, to, as punishment for us. It's supposed to be freeing. It's supposed to be liberating for us. Because you know why? Because now I don't have to worry about what I'm supposed to do today. All I've got to do is just do what He says. I don't have to worry about what's going to take place and how I'm going to handle this. And when something bad happens, how am I going to respond? All I have to do is respond the way that God has me to respond. Because though it may have caught you off guard, though it may have caught you by surprise, God knew it was coming and has a plan for you to deal with it. 
Because each of these seasons, don't forget, each of these seasons that he tells us about, each of these seasons that we go through, God knew they were coming. God put them at just the right time for you to grow and learn and understand how to be a better follower of Christ. He has plans. He has a purpose. You see, we simply just need to let go and trust God. He's the one that helps us to take one step. And then one step, right? One more step. One more step. And we don't take a step anywhere that God doesn't lead us. We don't, we don't respond in any way that God doesn't direct us to. We, we just tr simply trust God. We simply let go and put our faith in Him. You were made for a relationship with a divine creator. He made you, and that's how he made you. You were made for a relationship with a divine creator. So now listen, it should not surprise you that you are frustrated and upset and worried and out of, out of joint, out of kilter when your relationship with him is not where it ought to be. Because when you're out of a relationship with the one that you were created to be in a relationship with, you shouldn't be surprised when things are out of joint, out of place, when they don't feel right, when it just doesn't feel like everything's clicking and working together, right? Now, verses 12 through 15 is, is the second point. Solomon, Solomon points out that this trust that he's just told us that we need to have leads us to contentment. Now, contentment has been a theme now. This is week eight. We've talked about being content at least four or five of those weeks, right? Contentment is the goal. But we only find contentment when we, when we allow that trust in him to take place. So in verses 12 through 15, we, we see, or verse in, in 12 and 13, he says this, I know that there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is the gift of God. There's two things in verses 12 and 13 that he tells us to do. He tells us to rejoice, and he tells us to rest. In order for there to be contentment, we have to rejoice in what he's blessed us with, and we have to rest in what he's blessed us with. Now, here's, here's our human problem. Our, the human condition has brought us to one specific problem. We often don't rejoice or rest in these blessings He's given us because we're either trying to find the source and the purpose of the blessing. In other words, we've been blessed with something and now we're trying to figure out how or why or what, what purpose it serves. Right? So these blessings that he gives you, these seasons of life that he purposes and plans for your good, we don't, we're not able to rest and rejoice in them because we're too busy trying to figure out why they're there and what we should do to it. Instead of just saying, okay, God, this is where I am. And so first, we have to rejoice in all of these seasons of life. And again, of those 28 seasons, 14 of them are hard. 14 of them are good. 14 of them are easy, but 14 of them are hard. But now listen, his, his command to us, and look, we see this throughout Scripture. This isn't just Solomon telling us this, but his command throughout all of Scripture is to rejoice anyway. Rejoice always. 
And so when we stop trying to figure out the blessing and trying to figure out why it's there and what we're supposed to do with it and how we're supposed to react to it and we just rejoice in it, then we can find contentment. The other thing he says, verse 13, he tells us to do what? He tells us to uh, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all of his labor. All right, so it doesn't specifically use the word rest. But now when you, when you stop to eat and drink, that's generally you have, you've taken a break, you've taken a rest, you've taken a time to stop and enjoy what, he had, what you have. You're not trying to figure out where the meal came from or how you got it or what's the purpose in it or if it's going to make you sick or if it's going to make you healthy. If you like that food or you don't like that food, you're not worried about those things. When you stop to eat and drink, what does he say then happens in verse 13? When you do those things, then you find joy in the labor for which you've toiled. That was a paraphrase. But he says um, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. Now, y'all, we're three chapters in 13 verses, two chapters in 13 verses in. This is the first time he's told us that we can find good in our labor. If you want to understand the purpose of God, if you want to understand that all of this stuff truly has meaning, it has to take place within a relationship with God. Because at the end of verse 13, he says, it is, it being the blessing it is the gift of God. So listen, stop asking why. Stop asking how and just simply stop and say, thank you, Lord. When you eat, when you drink, there's a reason we say a blessing before a meal. And a lot of us, it's just kind of become a commonplace. We just do it. We say the same blessing every time we sit down. Stop and think about what you're doing. You're stopping to thank God for the blessings. You're resting to, to enjoy the blessing. Look, he tells us when we rejoice and when we rest, that's the only way we find contentment. That's the only way we, we truly understand that this labor, this work that we've done provides us joy. All right, the last thing he says, verses 14 through 15, only that which God accomplishes, only that which God does will remain. So in verses 14 and 15, he says, I know that everything that God does will remain forever. There's nothing to add to it. There's nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear Him. That which is has been already, and that which will be has already been. For God seeks what has passed by. We understand that, right? There's, look, everything that's worth anything is God's doing. Everything that is accomplished in all of, of, of history that's of any consequence and any worth is God's doing. And look, we can't, Look, we beat ourselves up trying to make the world a better place or whatever. Our job is to, to, to fulfill what God's plan and purpose is for your life. We're trying to grow God's kingdom. That's our job. That's our purpose here is to fulfill the work that he wants us to do, to live in, in relationship and fellowship with God, and to do everything that we can to bring honor and glory to him by adding to the kingdom of God. We're not trying to make the world a better place. We're trying to make heaven full. That's our job, right? So we have to understand that all the things that have been accomplished on earth, God has accomplished what he wants to accomplish, and you can't, you can't make it bigger or better. That's just kind of the way it is. More importantly, we need to understand that he has a specific plan and purpose for all of us, and all of these things, even the frustrating moments of life, and he does it all, bring us to him. 
I'm going to close with this this morning. If I asked you your favorite verse, I guarantee you there'd be at least one person in this room that said Romans 8, 28. And if not, it wouldn't take many more people to get somebody that said that that was their favorite verse, right? Romans 8, 28 works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called and live according to his purpose, right? That's Romans 8, 28. Now, that's your favorite verse. That's somebody's favorite verse. That's a lot of people's favorite verse. But now, you know that Paul in Romans 8, 28 and Solomon are basically telling us the same thing, right? He's just, Solomon's just told us that sometimes good things are going to happen, sometimes bad things are going to happen, but it's all to bring you into a relationship of God, with God. And you know what Paul tells us? Sometimes good things are going to happen. And sometimes bad things are going to happen. And all of it is to work together to make you a better, stronger believer in God. Who knew that Solomon and Paul were just little twinsies here in the middle of all, right, all of this writing? They're, they're, they're telling you the same thing in this passage. Good things are going to happen, and you should rejoice, and you should rest in those, and you should just be excited that God has blessed you, and it's part of His plan and His purpose. And y'all, bad things are going to happen. There's 14 seasons of life on that thing that we just read last week. Bad things are going to happen. But all of those things happen, at least according to Scripture, according to His perfect plan, according to His perfect will, in His perfect time. And all of those things are to strengthen you, to draw you closer to Him, and make your walk with God stronger. Because it's in moments where everything is good, right, it's easy. That, those should be the easy times to rejoice and, and celebrate what God has done. Sometimes it's hard when we're going through difficult seasons of life. We've got people in this room today going through difficult seasons of life. Scripture is still very clear that we're to rejoice in those because what God is doing in you, for you, and through you is the end result. And we should rejoice that He loves us enough to allow us to go through good things and hard things, all with the intent of bringing us closer to Him. See, a, a God who didn't care, a God who didn't care would just let you go about your own business and let you figure it out, and either everything would be good or everything would be bad. Sometimes we go through bad things because God's trying to teach us the good, how, how really and truly good the good things really are. God's plan is perfect. God allows these things in us. And all this is all Solomon is saying, that he wants these frustrations, these, these moments of life, to help us to cling to God and trust Him with every day and every moment of our lives. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to what God had to say to us. If you have any questions about today's Bible study, you can call our church office at 205-339-4071, and we will be glad to answer any questions you might have. God bless you, and we hope to see you again next week.